Welcome to Focus Fire Chat. Explore together. Welcome back for episode 77 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on March 17th, 2017 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the live chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86. Alongside me, we have the voice that launched a thousand ships, Justin saying 0516. How have the drops been for you, Justin? What up, what up, what up? The drops have been amazing. Are they, have they um, been as generous as heck? As generous as heck. Thank you. I couldn't have put it better myself. <laughs> it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. Found out there was going to be a brand new year, freaking whatever, mythoclast, and then a bunch of other stuff, and then people sent me snake things. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been a big week. It's been a big week for me. Been kind of kind of all over the place for you. Right, yeah. I like I like it. <laughs> well, uh Mel might be joining us a bit later. She ran into a bit of a schedule mix up in reality, so that you know, real life always has makes so much fun. Uh so we'll see how that pans out for us. We're hoping she jumps in later. Uh if she doesn't, be sure to head over to her Twitter and wish her a happy birthday here in a couple of days. I think her birthday's on the twentieth. So uh, if she doesn't if she doesn't make it and we don't get a chance to have Justin sing happy birthday to her, um, oh I'll do it. I totally just volunteered you for that, by the way. Marilyn Monroe uh, style. So just if, like if she doesn't, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> just I just nominate you for things and then just wait, and usually you go ahead and do it. So, um, so yeah, if she, if she doesn't get a chance to jump on, um, be sure to go over and wish her a happy birthday. Her birthday's on the twentieth. Um, and just let her know that we're missing her. But also, from the depths of the madness-inducing mind maps, we are joined by our favorite Gunter, the one and only green-eyed music lover. Green, hope you're doing well. How has the week gone for you? Good. I was hoping to play some uh, DC Universe Online with my buddies this Wednesday, but somebody <laughs> made the wrong kind of character, and we couldn't play together. First of all, <laughs> I'm like, hey. That that game's still not downloaded all the way. <laughs> Second of all, I think just I, I have a couple of exhibits and evidence to say that my character <laughs> can do no wrong. Your character was distracting. My character has attributes that just won't quit. <laughs> oh, man. So, so that happened, and uh, mm-hmm. it's been good though. Good, good, yeah. Well, and I'm hoping that next week will uh, will be a, another good week for everyone. But uh, are we ready to jump into this week's conversation? Let's do it. The topic of today's chat is going to be an in-depth exploration of the warlocks who dare to explore the realms of death itself, the Thanatonauts. I've asked Green to put together a high-level summary of the topic, and this is what she had to say. Warlocks who hunt for secrets and death, a breed of the knowledge-obsessed class that refuse to let even the veil of death itself prevent them from learning more about what they saw as the next frontier. Born out of experiences within the Crucible, these warlocks voluntarily died in pursuit of visions that they were able to experience before a ghost revival brought them back. 
Their contributions, however bizarre the methods, have truly been an assistance to the development of many research projects within the Tower and the Vanguard, one of which was the creation of the exotic firearm known as Hard Light. There are many identified as connected directly with this philosophical order of warlock, from exiles to visionaries. Osiris, Tolan, Pujari, and even Ulan Tan can be connected back to this form of pursuing knowledge. However, as noted on the Bond of Veils, even the multitude of Thanatonauts throughout their numerous journeys have only barely scratched the surface of the potential pool of information that is hidden behind the Veil of Death. Before we get into that, however, I do have a few housekeeping notes. In our last chat, we looked at the exotic heavy weapons in Destiny that we have currently. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat for archives of all previous chats, as well as links to the other aspects of Focus Fire Chat out on the internet. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Friday, at around 10pm Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcasts in the Guardian Radio Network found over on the guardiansofdestiny.com. These include Guardian Radio, which is the official podcast for the Guardians of Destiny, Guardian One, Ghosts and Echoes, which also has the Destiny audio grimoire, and the network's newest edition, a non-Destiny podcast, Paragon Radio. Our next chat's going to be an in-depth lore dive, as we've come to call it, of the Sunsinger subclass, which basically means that we're going to get to talk about some Thanatonauts this week and next week. With that, let's go ahead and dive into the information and thoughts that the community had on Thanatonauts. Lorebot, let's go. Query. Grimoire. Database. Results found. Displaying on screen. Nice. Thanks a lot, Randy. Um, so, you guys want to start with Ghost Fragment XO2? Yeah, Let's I think. It. Yeah, I think that would probably be the biggest clue from the Grimoire. Yeah, my favorite card. It's the Banshee Face Laser card. Um, it says hi. Thanks for your interest. I'm recording this for posterity. Warlock Thanatonauts die and come back with insight. I'm going to attempt the same process to get to get at buried memories. Specifically, I'm going to fire a charged particle beam into my head and see what comes out. We Exos have been around a very, very long time. I want to know what's in there. My ghost is standing by to repair me. Okay, three, two, one. Stag, Echo, Six, Sword, Sierra, Nine, Serpent. We're falling into the world. Everyone is on fire. There's a ship above us, but it's coming apart just like a flower. Alloy and fusion flash pierce through and through. The voice says atmospheric interface. Trajectory normal. Rabid, two, three. You're outside the window. I think I am the voice. 
I can see the whole earth below me now. In the sky, we are falling out of its black without stars. Ghosts, shoot me again. Rapid, four, rampart, four, ratchet, tango, eight, zero. We are on the ice. This is elsewhere and elsewhere. There is a mighty aurora, and it's reflected in the ice, so I walk between two fires, although the one below is cracked and full of corpses. I have and am a weapon. Up in the sky, there is a hole in Jupiter, and it tears at me when I look at it. It tears at me. It is hungry. Maybe the hole is not in Jupiter, but in me. Crown, castle, candor, cobalt, coral. Ghost, bring me back. Serrate, sulfur, anathema, amber, actual aspen. Ghost, bring me back now. So real quick on that one. Um, Oh, Uh, real quick on that (laughs) one. Sorry that we got a notification sound. It won't be on. It won't be in the podcast for you guys listening on the podcast, but it still startled me. There it goes again. (laughs) Um, Real quick. I wanted to make a comment here. The thing that strikes me first off is that as we, as we kind of talked about in chat, first off the exo that's talking about this right now um, is not a, I, I kind of hold to the theory that he's not even a warlock, but um, he's not a Thanatonaut because the very first thing that this exo calls out is the fact that he or she, or I guess it is trying to replicate what the warlock Thanatonauts do. Right. So by definition, that means that they are not, he, or he it is not one of them. We, you know, it, it's so that that's first. Um, the second thing that's always kind of bugged me about exos, and I'm, I'm not going to go too far down this tangent. We know with organic guardians there's a there's a potential biological explanation as to why we don't remember <clears throat> our past, right? Because a lot of people have have commented on this. Um, you know, there's there's a biological uh, example in which there was too much time. The ghost couldn't repair enough neuron pathways in your brain, and thus you don't have your memory. Good, cool. That that kind of makes sense. You know, it's got a whole few holes in it, but it it, it for the most part can hold water. Um, Exos don't have biological brains that we're aware of. Uh, you know, we don't really know what type of brains they do. We kind of talked with the exo episode about how they might have positronic brains, which are, by the way, completely mechanical. Um, but they do have software. Now, that might explain why the exos don't remember. But it just, for me, it just like that's one of the big kind of mysteries with the exos is what exactly is in what exactly is happening with the exo guardians specifically um, that makes them not remember their past life, uh, and that and that really is the driving factor of this particular card. Uh, he is actually trying not to necessarily learn anything big about the universe. You know, that's not his intent. He, this exo is trying to figure out his history or her history. It, they're trying to identify what happened to them. Why, why can't they remember what happened before they became a guardian? Uh, we do know that it is a exo guardian because obviously it's a ghost that is standing there. Um, but it's, uh, there, oh man, there's so much to unpack in this card. Um, 
you know, ignoring ignoring the visions for for just a second. Thanatonauts, uh, we we learn from Thanatonauts, and we talked about this quite a bit in chat. We still are talking about this in chat. Thanatonauts are basically a well. Here, let me back. Let me let me preface this before I say this. This is my understanding of what Thanatonauts are. This is not necessarily anything that's been one hundred percent confirmed, but there is a distinction between a Thanatonaut and a, a a guardian who's doing what this exo is doing. Thanatonauts in my opinion, are an organized academic group of warlocks that is that are actively and concentrated, concentratedly and coordinatedly trying to pierce the veil of death in order to learn the secrets of the universe. That is to not that's not to say that guardians in general are incapable of having visions. Actually, this card right here proves that they are. So you have guardians who can see visions. So you, the Thanatonauts, this is not an exclusive feature of a Thanatonauts subclass or any you know anything like that. I would I would hesitate to even say that Thanatonauts are an actual established order of warlocks. I think they're just a, a I would call them a philosophical order more than anything. But that that still kind of points a, a really important thing because you have first off it's not exclusive to destiny this entire concept we talked about this a little bit actually yesterday uh Dama and i talked about this there's a really really cool delving into this very exact concept in battlestar galactica uh you see it with the cylons which you know here's a, a minor spot a minor spoiler alert there are human cylons and cylons have the ability very similar to a guardian to be what's called what's basically reassigned body because they're ultimately just AI. That's that's what they are. And then so when their body, quote unquote, is is killed and which is destroyed, they have what's called a resurrection hub. And the AI intellect will get transferred to that resurrection hub because they're all connected via a basically a giant wireless network. Once they get translated to this resurrection hub, there is a short period in time in which they are uploaded into a new physical frame. Uh, and there is there are a few Cylons who have been made in a, such an advanced manner that they actually are passable as human. Uh, one of these is a, I'm, I'm, well, I won't say her name in case anyone hasn't seen the series. Uh, it's, it's Cylon three. Let's just call her, let's call her that three. Uh, she, she actually, she has what's identified in the series as a messianic um, flaw in her program. There is a point in the series where three has decided that she um, has been given visions by quote unquote God and that she actually starts using the resurrection hub in a very similar manner to what the Thanatonauts and destiny do. She actually starts committing suicide over and over and over and over and over. And like, I mean, just for countless cycles, she just keeps committing suicide and in the space between when she dies and she's resurrected it via the hub she actually experiences visions of things going on in the universe. And that leads to, in the series of Battlestar Galactica, that leads to the revelation of what's a um, what's called the Final Five, which is a very important aspect, especially in the latter about quarter of the series. But, so that is all to say that Thanatonauts is not a unique concept. I mean, and Green, you know, I'll let you kind of talk about this a little bit too, but 
there's a French novel that was written in 1994 by Bernard Weber that's called Less Than a Tonnets. Um, and it's it's about exactly this. A thanatonad is, if you break down the word, it comes from two words. It comes from the word thanatos, which was basically the personification of death in the Greek mythology, and then the 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 sub the suffix not, which is translated means literally a sailor. So you you have a person who is a thanatonad is literally an explorer of death, a sailor of death. Uh, another word that you guys might be familiar with is astronaut. Astronaut is literally a sailor of the stars. So these are people who explore realms that are beyond the earth. You know, an aquanaut was what we used to call sailors for the same reason. They were the sailors of the, the sea, the sailors of the water. So thanatonauts are exactly that. They sail on the veil of death. They, they try to pierce the veil of death and to see beyond it. Uh, and, you know, Green, in, her, in your summary, you had made that comment about the, the bond of veils and how, you know, a thousand thanatonauts in a thousand journeys have only scratched the surface of the information beneath the veil. Um, so, yeah, Green, do you want to you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I feel like I've ram- I'm rambling a bit off the well, off I the mean, start. This is kind of your baby as far as yeah, uh, yeah topics go. <laughs> It might uh, be a little bit. Oh, gosh. If you ever want to hear Blue go off for quite a while, talk about – there's a few different topics. This is one of them, and yeah. he will explain everything to you, even if you've heard it once before. He'll still explain it to you. It's good for a fresher course, mm-hmm. though. Um, the thing that drives me crazy about this card, and it took – I went diving into trying to figure it out for the past week, is the – actual coding stag echo six sword sierra nine serpent and what i've kind of surmised since kind of diving into it a little bit is it's literally a reference point within the memory of the exo the memory that had supposedly been wiped at least two of the lines are the stag echo six sword sierra nine serpent that is literally stag e6 sword s9 serpent if you're going to break it down into actual numeric alphanumeric and then the uh rapid for rampart for ratchet tango eight tango eight zero those sound like markers within a code as and then commands that also happen towards the end of it when you get into anathema and crown castle candor cobalt coral it kind of starts to just get rambly Mm -hmm. So I don't know as far as the last two lines where it has the actual what looks like uh, command phrases, but the first two sound like actual locations within the the string of data. Whether that means that it's locked away somewhere inside the EXO itself, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about the the vault, the deep stone crypt and everything, where supposedly everything is stored but it could literally be a part of them. If it's not, then this whole idea that Exos, like this Exo, who is firing a laser beam into his own head, actually is seeing memories, kind of seems a little silly if none of the memories are actually stored within that Exo itself. 
if they're downloaded into the crypt and then erased from the EXO, why is this guy getting memories? But that's my spin for you, Lee. Because he's really, really lucky. He's Banshee. Banshee's so messed up. Banshee's so messed up. (laughs) Justin in the background confirmed. (laughs) We can't say for sure. Sorry, I was no. We can't. That's my fault. Uh, We can't say for sure it's Banshee, but there is a Banshee quote that has the same kind of flavor as Mm -hmm. some of the dialogue in this card and the the actual quote is um uh the fires below us as we dropped on the coast um that's far from confirmation but this seems like the event that could have very well damaged banshee Mm -hmm. into the state that we know him as now but i kind of wanted to say something as to the deep stone crypt and exo memories um, what you, the thing I think to remember here is the deep stone crypt is not a place. It's not a separate piece of hardware. It's not anything outside of an EXO. It's actually just a subroutine. So think of it as being your, if you could like pack your memories together and put them behind sort of a neural firewall. If you could create that and then you could only access that by a certain subroutine, you know, kind of program protocol, that's kind of what the exos have have going on. So what this guy's doing is he's shooting himself in the face with a sentinel beam from Halo. Um, and he's breaking down that neural firewall. And what's coming out is our fragmented bits of data he has no right to access. And that's why it's all so fragmented and Banshee-like. That's at least the way I read it. Yeah, I, I, can, I, I can see that. I can see, yeah, I can totally see that. I The thing that drives me a little crazy about it is I kind of think that they're they're literally getting wiped from something exterior to themselves, which kind of I know that's something that's not at all within Grimoire, but this is an exo that is not a Thanatonaut at all. And we have examples of exos who are Thanatonauts, and they access these, these not necessarily past memories, but they reboot their current one when they go into it. I, I kind of, I, I just can't get behind necessarily that they're able to go back and basically knock off the the rust off of the the subroutine microchip to knock down those things with just a laser. I don't think this guy's actually seeing necessarily real memories, or if he is, that's the last thing he's thinking because he's frying his microchips or whatever that's up mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, it's like the degradation of you know any data storage device. You know, things will things will kind of appear that aren't supposed to. Yeah. And you know, Niner, Niner actually threw that in chat right before I could throw it. 
Uh, oh God, it, the Niners it, here. Yeah, it's I, the it's it's. I better talk right. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's very similar to a concept called basically compartmentalization uh, if information security. Uh, personality data is often used this way too. So, like, what uh, this is actually a real thing. Um, what this is usually is with within either you know you can have it in the public sector or the private sector. Uh, compartmentalization is basically limiting of access to information to uh, individuals or entities like programs that basically reduces it to a need to know basis. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think an easy way to explain this. Uh, so, for example, my job, my job, we we basically program what's what's called a workflow solution for a financial company. Um, I'm trying really hard. I'm I. I can't give too many details. Um, and so a big part of the, or SAP, SAP is very similar to this too. Um, a big, a big component of this entire programming process is making sure that people have the right access to the right pieces of the software. Okay. So for instance, I have as an admin of the program, I usually have access to every aspect of the software. I'm what's called a super user. Green, you would have access to a particular aspect. And Justin, you might have access to another particular aspect. Each one of you has access to the system, but uh, the best explanation is it's like it's like a building. And whereas I have the universal skeleton key to every single floor of the building, Green, you would have floors one through five, and Justin, you have four through six. So you don't have access to certain floors of the building, but you still have access to the building. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? That's like Discord. How we have yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's exactly like that. It's um, it's a it's and that's where the kind of the concept of compartmentalization as far as information comes in is that's what that is. It's me saying as a admin user of a program. It, you you establish particular permission sets and permission roles, and that are then tied into usually a variety of different aspects, but ultimately tie into what's called security roles. And those security roles are basically uh, what happens in behind the scenes. When I log into a system, the system does what's called a handshake routine, which is I log in with a certain set of credentials. That system then says, okay, are, is this person allowed to even come into my into my building? Yes. Okay. What keys does this person have? And immediately out of the gate, the program will identify, okay, you have access to floors one, three, and six. You do not have access to two, four, or five, but you can, you can access anything that's on anything that should be visible to you is now visible to you. Anything that should not be visible to you for your user, it doesn't exist. It's gone. It it's just doesn't exist. So when you talk about it, the exos kind of wearing down the compartmentalization barriers, it, it, it can be done. Um, it's really, you can get around compartmentalization, but it really requires a lot of finagling. And I mean, yes, technically I see Justin, I see the idea that you're going with. Um, it doesn't really work that way though. Uh, you, you have to, because like usually with, within, within these, within compartmentalization for data, you have to have a certain specific, uh, logarithm to actually even acknowledge that that piece of information exists. So 
but tying it back into what you you're talking about with the deep stone crypt the interesting thing for this is that they do have access they've just been revoked access because the deep stone crypt subroutine mm-hmm. basically resets their access so this is where i kind of hesitate saying that it's not really possible because technically speaking it would be it would be like a um a rewrite. So like say, okay, let's use Discord because most people are familiar with a, a concept similar to Discord. Um, your user, you know, we have we have a, a game chat, a voice chat for game game streams. Um, I give users access to that game chat. And then at the end of the game streams, uh, we usually wipe it clean and so that only, you know, a certain people have access to it. Um, and that's and that's just, you know, to prevent any instances from you know, people jumping in and saying stuff while we're streaming or, you know, we're using it for something and someone else jumps in that shouldn't be in there. The, the whole thing is though, that that person did at one point in time have that security access. So theoretically in the database somewhere, there is theoretically could be a ghost of a file that says this person has this access. If you keep resetting the database over and 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 you like it keeps going, theoretically, you could get to a point where that data gets confused. I mean, it it's it would take a lot, which I mean, again, kind of going back to the the comment here is it's possible, but it would require a, a different. It would require a different data setup than what we currently use. Which, I mean, hey, welcome to space magic. It's entirely possible. Um. So yeah, I, that's a really long answer of saying it's possible, and it's compartmentalization that you're talking about. You guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, uh, I'm no. Now I was waiting for you to drop the mic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so like Niner asked, if the excess were human minds once transferred by war mind, would this not be some construct then bridge between a human mind construct and that ac- architecture of a war mind's brain? Um, that's to me is a, actually a pretty good question because mm-hmm. we know that multiple exos like Banshee have been wiped multiple times, but who triggers the wipe? Does the EXO itself trigger the wipe? Is there some subroutine within the EXO that they don't even know about that triggers the wipe? That's something we've never really been able to answer. And I wonder if there is something out there that's not within the EXO themselves that triggers it. Yeah, and that's what he just followed up with. The algamation of the two restricted data removed to keep the mind clear of pain that would deviate from sanity and purpose, which is interesting to me because I believe it's XO3 uh, talks about, actually talks about why does a war machine have emotions? Yeah, and I actually... The whole who initiates the wipe and why, I almost view it like a uh, scheduled defragmentation routine, like for your computer. Yeah, defrag. Yeah, we, we've had that conversation. We actually had that but, I think I mean, that was the EXO episode, right? Yeah, yeah, and it, it could be on just something no oh, more excellent. scientific than, yeah. than a timer. 
Ghost Fragment XO is the one. It says, uh, why does a war machine have emotions? Why should a war machine have awareness? These are not useful traits on the battlefield. Don't flatter yourself. They are not useful. So why should the XO mind mimic the human architecture so closely? Yes, and by the way, Niner is correct. Don't defrag. It actually ruins your hard drive. It's, it's, it's so, a bad idea. So are we – wait, wait. Can we just back up one sec? It's not 1998 anymore. <laughs> you have – Niner, you've – You've blown Justin's mind. He he's he's got to take a moment to he's got to take a minute. What happened to Ace of Base? Oh my gosh! So yeah, um, <laughs> but okay. So tying it back into Thanatonauts, uh, we kind of got off on a a random tangent there with the Exos and the Deepstone Crypt, which are rela- is related. I mean, I, I definitely definitely see that being as related. Um, but so another another. Real quick, another thing for the etymology of Thanatonauts. Uh, Thanatos was actually a was a minor figure within Greek mythology, which is kind of interesting because he's the personification of death. You would think it would be kind of a big thing. What's um, a dude? <laughs> he's he's uh yeah he he's got a pretty big role, um, but he was actually a minor figure within the mythology. But he was actually they I think it was Hesiod who established that he was a son of Nyx, eh? that name sound familiar, and Erebos. And... Not touch. You're not touch. She'll bite you. Watch out. Um, uh, God, sorry. Sorry. Um, as well as being a twin hypnos. So uh, you actually see, uh, when you see Thanatos in mythology, you often see hypnos at the same time. Uh, they they actually were the twins were uh, very very it was very rare to see one of them without the other uh, in the Iliad for example Apollo basically comes down and orders the two of them Hypnos and Thanatos to deliver a hero who goes by the name of Sarpedon to his homeland in Lycia and the reason why is because Zeus himself has said this this man was a hero he needs to be delivered home as fast as possible. And these are the two that are the fastest right now. And so Thanatos and Hypnos actually were tasked with delivering this human, this human back to his homeland after he was killed in the, in the war. Um, however, the interesting thing is there's a, another connection for Thanatos to another character that kind of has some cool connections in Destiny. Uh, Thanatos was often regarded as being merciless and indiscriminate. Uh, he absolutely hated gods, mortals. It didn't matter. He hated you. He, he you know, St. Patrick's Day. He was kind of Irish. Um, he's also a great Marvel character. Yeah, he was a, he's a bit more purple <laughs> in the Marvel world. Isn't that, is his name Thanos? Yes, yeah, Thanos. Mm-hmm. It's same concept. But same thing, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. same concept. Um, however... Thanatos was occasionally able he he wasn't the he wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed let's just put it that way uh King Sisyphus of Corinth actually tricked the god not once he tricked him twice which definitely helped the king get his butt put in Tartus Tartarus uh because he then went on to make some very 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 big claims about how smart he was and the other gods weren't too happy with a mortal tricking a god and then bragging about it. 
So he, that's actually Sisyphus is the one that is stuck for eternity. He has been punished with an eternity of frustration within Tartarus because he's the guy who gets to push the rock up the hill. Uh, I'm sure most people are familiar with that yeah. imagery. Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Sure. Let's go with that one. Um, he's also he, there's also a nod in Destiny to, as Justin says, Sisyphus um, with the, the Sisyphus project, which is a giant project that was done by Clovis Bray in which it's kind of assumed, and I kind of am remembering this off the top of my head, so I might be completely off base, but I'm pretty sure the Sisyphus project was for immortality. Exos. Um, mm-hmm. they all, the device is also a minion ring, which is the one reason I'm interested in playing a warlock is because they get an artifact that looks like a minion ring. Um, yeah. But Blue yeah. Nabba. Mm-hmm. It's a spiky minion. <laughs> my my three-year-old loves that whenever whenever. papaya. Papaya. Bob. Steve. So do we want to uh maybe you want to move on to to the weapon? Uh which weapon? We got it. We got a uh well yes, yes. The the so, the pinball gun. Yeah. Turn on your hard light. Um <laughs> Not sure that's how that goes. I, I think that's I I think pretty that's sure. how that goes. I'm a pretty, pretty sure big Neil Diamond wrote, fan. Sting saying about a no. red light, not a hard no. light. No, it's it's turn on your hard light. It's it's Neil Diamond. It's not Sting. Gosh. Um uh yeah, ionized polymer <laughs> symbolistic attack platform. The system's lethality is dynamically robust across tactical spaces. As the city's understanding of Golden Age methods expands, foundries continue to push the cutting edge of tactical armament. The hard light prototype is a showcase built with the rarest recovered materials and the most computationally demanding design methods. The design team included several specialist exos and at least one warlock fanatic. In its current iteration, the hard light design fires a superheated polymer round with exotic capabilities. So turn on your hard light. There's going to be a remix soon. I still call this thing a poly, a, a, a pinball gun, or as it I think, shoots was molten it, plastic. Was it was it Libby in chat? He's like, yeah, if you want to tickle him to death. <laughs> I like this. It guy. doesn't tickle now. It hurts. <laughs> you know, it, did they change? Did they upgrade it to beanbags? Uh-huh. It's a, yeah. It's an auto. Yeah. Right now, so it's yeah. It hurts. <laughs> just stand on one side of the dungeon and just fire into one of the hallways. Right about the time you you say the sentence, "Who's shooting me with hard light?" You're dead. I just remember one of the first times I ran into this gun in game. Was I think it was uh, was it Bastion? Is that the control map on Mars that everyone always gets? Mm-hmm. We were in point B, and I went to go for point C, and I was going out the door into the in the hall light just or the hallway just suddenly was filled with this bright blue light, and it like it scared the ever living blankety blank out of me. I because I, I didn't I didn't I was light. like what is <laughs> So, yeah, that was my introduction to the baseball gun. Okay, so we had a funny cartoon be posted or a little thing get posted in chat today. 
Hard light users are the equivalent of a hot ha- Hanzo main from Overwatch. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's all uh, yeah. Not incredibly useful, but I'm also yeah. curious. I'm also curious what a Thanatonon had to do with any of this. Um, I'm assuming I that think he happened to be a Thanatonon. Yeah, I, I think I, well, that's what a couple of people were like. I think he just happened to be a Thanatonon. He did. He wasn't like actually like super. But the other, the only thing I can think of is um, it does call out the fact that as the understanding of Golden Age methods expand, uh, they're pushing. You know, they're pushing the cutting edge of tactical armament. Um, and so, oh my gosh, yes, Justin, I I will play that here in a second. Um, <laughs> as, as their, as their understanding of golden age technology kind of expands, you know, that, that could be, that could be augmented by a person who, I don't know, might remember some aspects of the golden age. And, you know, there's this question of does does the visions that they see beyond the veil, are those historical? Are they current? Are they what are they? So I definitely could see that being the aspect of it. But I, I, I think that's for me, that's the only thing really that I could see it. I mean, do you guys have any different? Uh, not really. I mean, this one's a pretty bare bones card as far as pulling stuff into it. But all right, we well, go in that on case, the next one. Yeah, hang gonna... on, hang on. I, we've been we've been requested to play a golden oldie of Justin's. An olden goldie. An olden goldie. Golden oldie. Golden oldie. 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 Where did it go? Where did it? Where did it go? Oh, here it is. Are Turn you ready? On your hard light. Not that one. <laughs> this one. Oh my god. I sound like I'm from Street Fighter. <laughs> like that should be followed by <laughs> Oh man. All right, so the next the next card that kind of deals with Thanatonautics is the Osiris card, um, and really, I'm not I'm not going to read this full card because I mean, as awesome as this card is, I don't want to bore everybody with the random tangents that they will cause. Uh, the big the big selling point here is that it's basically called out about halfway or about three fourths of the way down the card. He's called out as being a person who dabbled in Thanatonautics, as well as Ahamkara lore, chasing off Zur, um, and all these things. But that wasn't even even to the the speaker who is writing this card. That wasn't his greatest crime, um, you know. And so basically, this is con- this is confirmation of Osiris's connection to Thanatonautics, uh, and we we know that Osiris was. A sun singer, he was a, a master of at least both the the subclasses at the time that we had this card. Excuse me, uh, which was sun singers and void walkers. We were we were pretty confident in saying that he was that. Uh, I don't know. I'm pretty. Sh- I, I would not be surprised if he had stormcaller. Now that we know this subclass exists, um, but we we now ha- we have a confirmation, a direct confirmation that he was he was involved in thanatonautics and there's there's a really interesting card that or there's a really interesting theory that I actually found just before I got on for the episode tonight 
that I'm going to be talking about next week with regards to the Sunsinger uh, because someone actually went out and kind of pulled different pieces of information together. And this was over on Reddit. And he actually has a theory that Osiris, and I, I don't know how how I feel about the theory, so I'm, I'm still thinking, I'm still reading through it and still kind of digesting it. But his theory is that Osiris could be one of the initial sun singers. He could have been the one that actually kind of introduced the idea of sun, the sun singer class to the Guardians. Uh, and he has, he has a lot of different aspects pulling in from different pieces of the lore. Um, and it's, I mean, it's well put together. I don't know if I agree with it, but um, like I said, I'm still kind of working my way through his, his particular post, but I will be talking mm. about that next week. Um, That's not all that far-fetched. No, it's not. It's, it's mm. not at all. Uh, it is not at all. And I, I just, the timeline is the, the, my biggest issue just off the, off the top of my head. Uh, so I'm just trying to figure out where, you know, how, how he's getting around some of that. Um, but yeah, no, it is, he, he did a very good job in putting it all together and I will, I will have that. I will, like I said, I'm going to discuss it next week. I will have it linked up in the show notes for next week. Uh, Justin green, I already have it linked in the show notes that you guys have access to. So, um, but yeah, it, like I said, it's a really good one. Uh, and then, so yeah, the, the point of pulling an Osiris card was basically, Hey, Osiris was a dabbler at least in Thanatonautics. So we know, we know that as well. Um, and then green, do you want to just read this, this last one that we have? Yeah, we've got, uh, the Promethean code pulled up, which if you guys remember, I think that was part of an actual mission. Yes. Like the end of a mission. It was so this one. the one that we were grabbing Crota's soul. Was it? Cause the picture Looks like something. I think it might have been right before. Rest- Hang on, I'm gonna, okay. You read. You read it. I'm going to go dig okay. in. So it's a quote from Ikora Ray, and she says, "A guardian breaking into the war mines bunker does nothing for our efforts to make true contact with Rasputin. I've tasked several of my agents with unraveling his response. However, the guardian is now prepared for the assault on Crota's realm. Just a warning." Many the Natanauts are standing by, anxious to learn if this works. I okay, so when I first read this one, I didn't think anything of it, but after having our dive into exo history like theory a little bit, it makes me wonder that the Natanauts are actually more often just pressing this just because it's it has that tie into Rasputin again it's possible that the Natanauts actually are exos maybe specifically. We mm. don't have any proof besides this card that would kind of point that direction, but it, because That'd these be guys interesting, are interested. Actually. Yeah. Just because these guys are interested in seeing what happens with Rasputin, who is a war mind, which we know is most likely the one who helped like make exos work who had the sub mind or had the mind large enough to make exos work. It makes me wonder if the Natanauts are actually a sect of exos, but that's just, that's just a little bit of wondering aloud on that. Uh, do, 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 do. There's a lot of jokes in this mission. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a it's, lot of a jokes. Joke in there it's Cade, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's Cade and Eris, and they're arguing the entire time. He, the, like the entire mission starts off, and Cade's like, "Don't listen to her. She's still mad at you for what you did to her ship." I was like, "I'm pretty." I remember playing this now, and I'm like, "I'm pretty sure I did this because you set me up to do this." You. There's a whole card devoted to Eris being mad at Cade yes, and saying not to talk to her <laughs> because of his her ship. I mean, she knows who blew up her ship. Um, and then, yeah, okay, so this is the one where we go into the Seraphim Vault, which, yeah, like I said, like you were saying, this would be an interesting connection between the Thanatonauts if they are exo-Thanatonauts, because you're you're basically jumping into um, the depths of Rasputin with this mission. Uh, it was at the end of another mission, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a special one? Yes. If it's, um, the alternative is if you are attempting this mission on heroic difficulty. So normally, normally the mission ends when you scan the monitor and that's when Cade kind of starts bragging about the blade, blade dancers getting their cloaking, uh, ability. Supposedly Um, for him. Supposedly. Yes. Supposedly. Uh, and then, but if you are doing it on heroic difficulty, at that point, when you scan the the monitor, uh, Cade begins to brag, but then suddenly the panel uh, just opens up, and basically, mm-hmm. Cade. It sounds like we actually cracked the Veluspa protocol, uh, and then um, you go down in an elevator, and a Taken Centurion take, steps out, and you have to you know basically defeat that. And Ghost has a great line of "Great, I hope we get some better. We better get some." We get. I hope we get some better pants out of this. Good mm-hmm. job, good job, Ghost RNG. Um, and then, yeah, that's when we get the essence of the feast uh, object. So, yeah, this was not. I thought I'm gonna have to be rich friend. Hang on, give me a second. Because the essence of the feast quest was. For the touch of malice. I'm making sure I'm getting here. Where was that? What step was that? It wasn't the last one because I still haven't finished that step. No, the thing. last one's the freaking. It's so hard. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look at this. I'll talk about it in Discord later, because I swear that this was a different mission. But I'm looking at this, and that's you're right. It is. It is not the mission that I thought it was, and when I was first reading this. But anyways, back into the Grimoire card, Promethean Code. Uh, we talked quite a bit about Prometheus in I don't know. Pick an episode. We've probably talked about Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus was a titan who created humans in most mythology, uh, which actually explained why he was so fond of us. And he is also known for the one who gifted humanity with fire, which was basically civilization. Uh, for that, for that trans or for that transgression against the orders of the, the Olympian gods, which were the gods who had overthrown the titans, uh, he was chained to a cliff and basically bound there for eternity to have an eagle eat him alive and because he was a titan every day he regrew what he had lost and so basically he's i mean he's immortal he's he can't be killed 
in that manner. So it was a never ending torment until depending on which mythology you're looking at, he potentially was freed by Heracles or Hercules. Um, but with that, that goes further than here. The, so the Promethean code is kind of a nod to that. Um, the code, I imagine the Promethean code being symbolic of the fire that Prometheus was given, uh, or gave humanity. This would be a code that, elevated the guardian ranks if they received it um or the code that possibly gave exos their ability to be exos mm -hmm. that that transcended normal robotics into a an age of a golden age of enlightenment maybe possible Mm. so that would be like the fire Mm -hmm. yeah well because like in in the in the Greek mythology, the the fire I, it, it it was a fire, but it was also symbolic of him passing on the concept of civilization to to humankind, um, because he uh, Prometheus was the one who is who in that in the Greek mythology is believed to have created humans. Uh, and so he was very fond of humanity and he, he wanted to, you know, he, he, he basically spoiled humans. Uh, he protected them a lot. And so he was always trying to help them and trying to, you know, get them, you know, be able to stand on their own and all this stuff. And the gods at the time, the Olympian gods were not very fond of that idea because that would mean that they didn't need the gods. And it's a, it's a huge thing about, um, civilization and how you you lose your faith in in the gods and in in a a magical thought process also uh and so fire was very symbolic of not just not just fire but also the awakening of civilization and the higher functioning thinking processes that that enables like you know maslow's hierarchy of needs once you have basic protection you start worrying about other things we we jokingly call them first world problems that's because in our hierarchy of needs we don't need to worry about i'm starving to death i need to get food i'm worried about my internet connection which in the big picture has nothing to do with my survival right but because uh because i have a baseline well sure okay yeah okay yeah okay i'm not (laughs) i'm just messing with damn it justin um we're talking about bloom's taxonomy i go away for one minute no 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 we're talking about maslow's hierarchy of needs um Mm. and so like in the in the hierarchy of needs basically what what the symbolic equivalent of what prometheus did was he basically said hey this is your basic i mean base base need is food water shelter you know base survival that's what you need the giving of food or the giving of fire is equivalent to basically elevating humanity from that point of in this mythology it would be elevating humanity from that level of need up into another level, which allows them to free up that time that's spent, you know, scrounging for fresh food because, you know, when you cook food, you can actually keep it. So it's this, this blossoming of civilization in a similar th- in a similar sense, if you apply that into the exo, the exo situation, exactly what, you know, green, I think was kind of saying is this code could have been part of the logarithm which allowed an exo to become more than just a warframe. This allowed them to become exos, to become sentient, to become self-aware, to become equivalent of humanity itself. 
it's possible. I mean, we don't right, have right. I mean, there's there's a there's a huge assumption here, um, mm-hmm. but that I could I could totally see that being the equivalent here. I, I totally could see that. Um, yeah. As far as the as far as the question of why Thanatonauts are so anxious, um, you know, at Green again. If you are kind of thinking that Thanaton or your point about Thanatonauts being exos. That would make sense. Uh, you also have the idea that this is potentially this is potentially a huge insight into the past of of the world. You know, like Rasputin. Rasputin knows what happened, mm-hmm. right? He he knows what went on in the collapse. He knows the answers to all these things. And Thanatonauts, what are Thanatonauts trying to do? They're trying to learn what is going on they're trying to you know it's a warlock thing they're trying to acquire more information more knowledge about what's going on so yeah and you know and and to them it's like oh i don't have to i don't have to go outside and shoot myself to learn this stuff i could see that it could be something as simple as that too so especially if you crack especially if you crack a code that they've been trying to crack for years on end and we can actually if you talk about how little they've actually gleaned from it, we can actually move right on into some of the armor pieces that are mm-hmm. related to it. Because the Bond of Veils, it literally says, a thousand Thanatonauts on a thousand journeys have made only the tiniest tears in the de- in Death's Veil. I mean, they've done multiple, multiple experiments trying to figure out what happened and don't have much insight to show for it. And I think that kind of is also a nod to... Um the absolute lack of control that they have over what they see, uh, you know, which kind of ties back into the exo card, right? You know, the exo, the, the exo who is having these visions, it doesn't seem, I mean, especially at the end of the card, when the panic that you can just kind of feel in that, that reading, Mm um, he, they don't have control. They don't, they don't, it's, it's like you're casting your, it's like, it's a, it's a, a blind astral projection. Basically you have no idea where you're going. You could end up in a volcano and you know, whatever. And so, yeah, if you, in you're you're literally plumbing the depths of time and space, basically. Yeah. You're going to, you have a lot of ground to cover. So, uh, I did want to make a con or a comment about the idea of the veil itself, um, the tears and death's veil. This is, this is actually a, another thing that's no, it's not, not unique to destiny. Uh, the concept of the veil as a symbolic representation of the barrier between life and death is actually one that's rooted in pretty much the totality of human history. Um, the word veil actually originates from Latin vellum, which also means sail. Uh, there's two kind of competing theories of the origin of the word. One is that the word means covering, and the other means that it actually is a sail, uh, which is to drive or to move or ride in a vehicle. Um, so there, there's there's a huge, apparently a huge debate over the etymology of of veil. But this is this is actually very very popular in a lot of religious connotations um, because you can see this. Uh, the, the one that comes to my mind immediately is uh, in Catholicism. 
or in Christianity in general, the veil is often perceived as a covering to protect or to separate something. Uh, Christian thought pro- or Christian beliefs is that the the entire act of baptism is the plunging of the the plunging of a person into the water and then bringing them back is the equivalent of them dying and being born again. Um, there's that, that's one example. The, uh, the habits that nuns wear, for example, are often perceived or, uh, believed to be symbolic of the veil of death, because that is something that they, they wear with them constantly. We are mortal. We, you know, that's something we have to bear. Um, and a lot of religions and a lot of, philosophical beliefs use that concept of a veil between the life and the life and death. Um, you have, uh, the white wolf role-playing games with, uh, the mage and werewolf games specifically, specifically call out the veil as being something that can be ruptured and is something that separates worlds, uh, multiple worlds and multiple universes. That's something that's specifically called out in that role-playing game. Uh, so it's it's not it's not unique to any particular sense of beliefs or any particular religion or anything like that. It's a common mm-hmm. concept. But well, you have people who write books about how they've had those near death experiences mm-hmm. where they died for a moment. But the thing is, is some of those people they don't they think they witness they hallucinate basically from mm-hmm. what science can tell. They hallucinate these experiences. So if you throw it back to that exo card back from the beginning he could be hallucinating if that was something that a machine could do right but the other thing that you could also say is that they get those visions and then there's that veil is pulled back over their eyes when they come back so they lose the actual knowledge of the visions themselves right and that's actually uh a lot of those out-of-body experiences that's actually exactly how they explain it is the i mean that's the concept of pulling the wool over one's eyes um, you know, pulling the veil over your eyes, because if you, if you've ever had, if you've ever had any, I mean, just go get a thin piece of fabric and put it over your eyes. You can see through it. You you know, you can see through it, but you can't see as well as if you don't, if you're unveiled And it, and you know, a large, a large concept of, um, uh, uh, where am I going with this? Historically, the political institution of marriage, for example, was ultimately there was a there was obviously a very large political um, aspect of marriage, especially within the medieval world. And there was a big deal about, you know, the veil, the the white, the the marriage veil being something of purity and being something of trust um, between the people who were entering into this contract um, that was a big component and it wasn't there. There really wasn't necessarily, I mean, there were religious connotations to it, but it was also a completely, a, a completely physical connotation because the, the person who was marrying this other individual, they didn't know that that person was who they agreed to marry until after they pulled the veil back, they unveiled the individual. So there, there is an instance of, you know, this is me trusting that you are, you are upholding our bargain and political contract here. Um, and that's where the, con- <laughs> that's where the concept of unveiling something comes in is, you know, when you unveil something, you reveal it. And so when you veil something, you conceal it. So when you talk about the ba- the veil of death, that's a, you know, green, that's exactly what it is, is mm-hmm. it's the, it's the, 
barrier that is keeping us from seeing, that is keeping us from understanding the beyond, the ether, the, you know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, philosophically, religiously, you know, historically, you know, pick whatever term you want. Veil has been a very, very symbolic presence just within the history of humanity in general. But so I, that's what I, I, I really like that particular bond because of that. And I know this next, this next set that Justin's going to talk about, I have, I have a lot to talk about on this one. So Justin, you want to, oh. you want to talk about the, the yeah. Ten, yeah tenju let's, talk operant. let's talk about the Tengu operant. Um, Tengu operants. The solipsist position is false. I could never imagine this. Athanata not. Final words before ghost intervention. Um, those actually are the legs. Let me read all of them and then we can kind of go over all of them individually. Um, Tengu operant too. Um, so They're the same. same. They're are they the all same. the same? Mm-hmm. That's fun for everyone. Um, so <laughs> they are all the same. Um, and ironically enough, they're all legs. And it's so weird that yeah. they would be legs because warlocks are so used to being carried. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh. So a couple of things here. So it talks about the solipsist position. Um, so solipsism is actually the viewer theory that the self is all that can be known to exist. So basically what this tells us is that a thanatonaut is incapable of taking up the solipsist position. It's false. They couldn't even imagine it. Um, so the thought that the self, that yourself is the only thing or the most important thing is uh, kind of goes against the grain of a, uh, of a, the Natanaut. Now also Tengu is a um, Japanese, uh, let me see. Shinto. Shinto. Yeah. It's a Shinto God or Kami, um, which is the heavenly dog is the Tengu. Um, now, um, they take their name from the Chinese demon, mm-hmm. uh, Tengu, but, uh, yeah, they were actually thought to take the forms of birds of prey and they're traditionally depicted with human and avian characteristics. Um, they're very positive, uh, you know, creatures in Japanese mythology, mythology and folklore. Um, and then an operant is actually um, involving the modification of behavior. So um, this is done by reinforcing or inhibiting the effect of its own consequences. Uh, It's also, it can also be referring to an item of behavior that is initially spontaneous. So kind of take from that what you will. That's an awful lot from one set of legs. 
Uh, essentially, essentially one set of legs. So, so to work to work my way back through your list, uh, the operant, which is correct, it is usually, uh, especially within psychology, is similar Nailed to it. instrumental conditioning. The origins of operant is from Latin. It's an operant or being at work from the verb operai. Uh, so it's it's usually something you, when you hear. Outside of psychology, when you hear of an operant, it's usually someone who is doing something. Uh, Tengu, you are correct again. Good job. Two for two so far. Uh, You have Heavenly Dog, which is, yes, it is in Japanese folk religion and is also considered a type of Shinto god or supernatural being. And yes, in Shinto and Japanese religious connotations, they are positive. However, Buddhism has long held that the Tengu were disruptive demons and harbingers of war. Uh, and that actually was before the Shinto got a hold of the, the view of that. That image actually was the first image. And then they softened the image into one that was protective, but very were still very dangerous. Um, and they became spirits of the mountains and the forest. And they are often associated with the aesthetic practice of what's called Shingado. And they are usually depicted in the garb of its followers, which is known as the Yama, Yamaboshi. Um, so the, the Tengu were originally negative entities and they were shit. They kind of shifted and evolved into a very, very protective entity, but the danger that they were, the, the, the dangerous qualities that made them so, so terrifying, uh, stayed. So, okay. Go for it. Quick question. Just a quick question. Um, because my, my brain is very limited when it comes to Eastern knowledge. How different are they from food dogs? That was what I was thinking. Yeah. Food dog. Yeah. So, Oh man. Um, so Ting Tengu, I think it's really weird because yeah, J- Justin, you you made this comment as well, and this was kind of the disconnect for me. Their Tengu means heavenly dog, but they're avian in portrayal. Mm-hmm. They're they're birds of prey. Um, so like you have the earliest picture or the earliest depiction of them, they have very prolonged beaks, um, and then you know eventually that shifts into a very long nose, which is basically the defining characteristic of them, in, especially in modern. Um, as far as their comparison to the Foo Dogs, I know that was a thought of mine, but I didn't see anything. Just running through my notes real quick. Okay, people who are in podcast land if you know the difference or the similarities between this you can contact us via twitter or through the discord chat i would like to know they have really big noses i don't i know that doesn't i know that doesn't help but oh my gosh the pictures that i have collected there's a lot of big noses (laughs) they're funny all right continue continue Mm mm-hmm but if you have corrections or any sort of things that you would like to share with us about this, please, please don't feel ashamed or shy or anything about sending us a message via Twitter or via Discord. Because I would like to know, now that Justin has said that, because it sounds very similar. Well, so like the the food dog is often attributed as being a, a lion, uh, the mm-hmm. guard lion. Um 
and they were the cub or the rock, right? Yeah. Yes, I think. I think that's right. That sounds right. Hmm. Sounds right. Um, yes, stone sculpture, stone lion, bronze lion, uh, and then they were often depicted as being uh, equivalent or well representation of the imperial, the imperial lions. Um, so I don't, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing anywhere there being a, a very broad connection between the food dog and the Tingu. Maybe the Tingu is a type of spirit rather than a physical. Visit, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's this, I'm, I'm thinking that's the distinction. I'll have to I'll I'll look into it as well. They don't look really anything alike. To... I no, will give they you don't. That. That's a I really just, angry I looking have... bird. Oh, it's a crow. Just, That's why it's really angry. I just have the uh, pop pop culture reference of Dresden having his little food dog. Oh, uh, that that wasn't a little food dog. He was little when he first got him. Oh yeah, mouse. Yeah, he was tiny He's... when he I love Mouse. <laughs> Mouse is amazing, okay? He's mm-hmm. a, he's an amazing character. But he, mm-hmm. <laughs> little is Best not a word that you can book. use to describe he was him. Little in the beginning. <laughs> um so yes, T- Tingu is the heavenly dog. Uh and then so that brings me to uh solipsism. So yes, you are correct that Slipism is the view or theory that the self is all that can be known to exist. Um, Nailed it. The basic premise of slipism is the knowledge of anything outside of one's own mind is unsure, which basically means that your, your external world and even other minds, you can't know that they exist and they might not exist. Um, just, just hang on and think, just think about that for a second. You have a theory in which you are the only thing in existence. Um, not really, though. But okay, it's, okay, no, no, no. This that, is... It's not that you're the only thing. It's that you can't confirm the existence of other things. Ultimately, you right. can't rule them out either, though. Right. Well, it was a, but as it an was a philosophical as, right as an epistemological re- position, slipism holds that the knowledge of anything outside of own, one's own mind is unsure. The external mind, mm-hmm. the external world, and the other minds cannot be known and might not exist outside of the mind. So you you actually have as as a metaphysical conclusion of this ph- philosophical theory, you have the conclusion that the world and other minds do not exist. It is it is the the epitome of egocentrism um, because go for it. Descartes it's like Descartes was the big. Um, yeah, he, he was he was it. a he was a huge, huge proponent of this. Um, there's there's there. The, no, there are so many psychological issues with people who who follow. And then there are people who 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 understand the world to exist this way. This is this is considered a disassociative mental state. Um, and basically what that means, it, it's actually called solipsism syndrome. And what it is, is it's the lack of ability to prove the existence of other minds, um, actually leads to a complete disconnect from reality. Um, it's not quite a psychological, uh, I guess technically it's a psychological break, but it's, it's not because these people, well, in some extreme cases, they actually are not able to, to 
to process reality. They can't. Their their entire their entire view of reality is that reality doesn't exist. Um and that is as you I mean just you it, it's something that is it's nearly impossible to wrap your head around and the reason why is because you know there are things that happen in reality that enact themselves upon us the problem is is that within the slipism or within a slipsistic thought you understand the mind to be above all else you know you 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 understand that anything that you process is a mental firing of neurons um the sense of touch is actually a mental interpretation of contact with an outside item right i mean when you get it, when you get down to it that's what it is your brain is interpreting pressure upon your skin and then it is translating that into you know into a sense of touch so from a slipistic point of view your brain is lying to you your brain is tricking you that doesn't actually exist you are floating in nothingness and your brain is creating this world outside of itself to keep you from going insane the problem is is that in adopting this view you actually end up going insane because you think that you're you're perceiving a reality outside of the reality um if you've ever you know even read about anything like a sensory de- deprivation tank this is why people go insane in sensory deprivation if they're held in there too long because the brain cannot process this this level of it's not even nihilism it it's just lack of input it has to create things um and that's why sensory deprivation you know that's why it does the the effects that it does you start you know you'll hallucinate you'll see visions you think things like that it's because your brain is trying so hard to process something and it has nothing to process that it starts inventing things to process um and basically what it what this item is talking about is that the idea that you are the only person in the reality is not true. Which means there's a communal force somewhere out there. They basically just proved that you are not the only person in existence. You, There are other people. Um, when you talk about the, the, the idea that the the solipsist position is false that's because when they died they perceived something outside of themselves they perceived what would i mean I, in this reality we know that there was a place before they were brought back it could be that they have a glimpse of the afterlife or the destiny version of the afterlife and there's other inhabitants other entities that are outside of their own reality outside of their own existence that they recognize and that recognition kind of drives home the fact that you can't you 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 can't be the only entity in existence because that right there is another entity in existence and because you're dead there's no there's no way that your brain quote air quotes your your brain is tricking you right because you don't have a brain your your energy at this point basically 
Did I kill opposite everybody? Bud- no, no, no. Opposite no? Of Buddhism. Buddhism is there oh, is no self. It's there is only self. Right. Food. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's uh, it, uh the, um, the it's egocentrism versus allocentrism is ultimately mm-hmm. what this is. Um, the slipicist is more of an egocentrical, uh, and I I I don't mean to simplify Buddhism because it by no means is just this. No. But Buddhism <laughs> is much no, no, more no. allocentric, whereas the solipsist position is much more egocentric. Actually, it is egocentric. Um, allocentricism is when, uh, just for people who might not know that term, allocentricism is pretty much the opposite. They're, they're polar opposites of each other. So egocentric, egocentric puts yourself above all. Uh, it's egocentric. It's me first, you second. Allocentric puts everything else above self. So it's you first, me second. Um, and so there's there's a large tangent that I can go on also about that with the guardians and the hive being polar opposites. The hive are much more egocentrical. The guardians are much more allocentrical um, because they are based around the pack. The hive is based around the king. Um, so there's, there's, there's that too. But yes, green, that is, uh, I agree with that 100%. Cool. Well, there's only one weapon that we know of that kind of relates back to our topic tonight, and that is the Thanatos SR5, the rare scout rifle. And all it says, where death follows, new life will grow. Where new life grows, death will follow. Pretty common, uh, like, cyclic concept. Really, really easy to see. If you... um, And kind of my neck of the woods there was a major fire grass fire pretty recently mm-hmm. and already there's new blades of grass popping up and it's actually a lot prettier than it used to be because we actually have new life coming I'm, up from it instead of the old stuff the I, I was waiting for this i'm like i'm like oh god you said circle uh, and uh i'm surprised, uh-huh. I'm surprised that he's not. everything the traveler touched is our kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> what about that shadow area over there? Don't worry about that. That's nowhere to go. <laughs> That's the city. Don't go there. You, you can't go there. You're a guardian. You're not allowed in the city. You're only allowed on this tower. Bye. There's hyenas down there. <laughs> and then and then the speaker is Mustafa and he does the bye Felicia. And then, then we're all out. There's Pumba. Pumba. Shaxx is Pumba. Who else would be Pumba? <laughs> Timon will be Cade. Yeah, Timon. No, Timon's a little snippy to be Cade. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I just <laughs> forgot who Tim- Yeah. Oh, that'd yeah. be good if Ares was Nala. Oh god. <laughs> You're going to kill me. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. We got to uh, have somebody head desk tonight. Oh, my God. Ken's <laughs> left early. We got to have somebody head desk. Right? I'm so... I actually think Cade might be Zazu. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's... No, Shax is Zazu because Zazu is pretentious. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Diddly diddly. Diddly dee. 
Ugh. Uh, you okay? Are you okay, I think, Blue? I think I think I'll be okay. Blue is broken. Oh my god, you broke me. Um, I, I was I was actually impressed. I thought you were going to go with the Vex time travel with the cir- the circle, but that that was I, even I better. I want to I want a do over. I want a do over. Scratch that. Rewind it back. Rick, 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 yeah. Rick. Um, uh, so yeah, it, the the concept of the cycle of life, uh, death, you know, life goes, death follows, life follows death, and it's the the Ouroboros, I guess you would call it, the endless circle, um, and that and that really is, I mean, Thanatos, like like we were kind of talking at the beginning with Thanatonauts, Thanatos is the personification of death. Um, I have no idea what SR Scout Rifle Five, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm assuming I'm just going to throw that out there. I'm assuming that's what that is. Um, mm-hmm. So it was the fifth iteration of this particular rifle, but I want that to have a, a more nuanced, more <laughs> implication, but I the think next you may one be does. right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with Occam's razor approach on this one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh Bye. my God. I'm sorry. I, I, you guys, you guys nearly killed me. <laughs> Point uh, finger at Justin. Hakuna Matata. Oh God! Don't start. This. <laughs> what a wonderful name! <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, all right. What do? What is do? Is it time to put blue to sleep? Put blue to sleep. Put put put, put blue to sleep. Um, put you want to talk about sleep. talk about the lullaby for a second? Mm-hmm. All right. So the Thanatonauts lullaby is a warlock artifact. Uh, and basically, this one is a picture of a really cool-looking book. Uh, and there's there's a connection there that we'll get into. Um, but the flavor text here says, "Make the passage just or makes the passage just that much easier." So, which I you know that makes me think that they're they're doing. Um, I'm not gonna say that. That's that's not nice. Never mind. Continue. Anyways, the the logo on the book. Sorry, I, I was going. I, my head, my my brain went somewhere with that, and I was like, I realized halfway through that sentence that I'm gonna get myself in trouble saying it. Um, so I'm not gonna say it. Uh, the the logo that's on this book is a very intriguing one because we see this Alchemist actually- Raymond. <laughs> you just can't hold it, can you? You just can't wait for the. <laughs> you couldn't wait for the punchline. Um, yes, it is also the logo that's on the Alchemist Raiment. Um, there is another one. Oh, Ulantan's burial ring, which is another bond. Um, this is the same logo that's there as well. Rhino actually also made a really, really good point. If you are in the tower and you activate your ghost. The the halos that form around the ghost actually form something very similar to this this image, um, but instead of the the sphere, which by the way looks like the traveler, um, instead of the sphere at the center of it, the ghost is at the center of it, uh, and so that that was a that was a very interesting observation on his part as well. But yes, this is connected to the alchemist Raymond and Ulantan's bond or Ulantan's burial ring. Uh, which mm. I, f- I just, I find that kind of intriguing. Um, but I know green, what? you, okay. you had a comment on this one. Yeah. Um, this actually is a, okay. So spoiler for next week, 
we're going to talk about Sun Singers. And Sun Singers have kind of a tie back into We're going to be kind of cross-referencing a lot of what we're talking about tonight. And one of the things with the resurrectionist-type characters, these fire resurrectionists, these phoenixes per se, is the Viking funeral. Because you see these funerals where the person's put down on a pyre, they go up in flames. It's quite an interesting concept as far as the ritual of it. I don't want to go through the entirety of it here because it's not suitable for work. <laughs> but no, no, it's not. And NSFW. <laughs> yeah, totally. Don't look, look it up. Don't look own, at, yeah, don't, don't look this up at the work. office. This is something at home. Make sure no small, small children. Make, yeah, around. I was about to say, make sure there are no small children around. Shades drawn. Shades drawn. <laughs> it's, okay, it's not quite that bad. There's no bad pictures on this page. You can find okay. it on the wiki page pretty easily. But one of the things that happens in the Viking fr- funeral is there is a girl who's considered the thrall of the the person who died, the master who died. And what they do is they basically have her um, drink some some lofty drinks, some heavy drink. Everybody is a lot of partying time. And she sings multiple times on multiple occasions. And she sings, it's kind of the death lullaby, per se. She Any sings like, like a death song? The, yeah, like a death song. But it's not to <laughs> kill anybody. The guy's already dead. It's kind of the, uh, the Natanot's lullaby, per se, to help Ooh. transfer him to the next world. Or transfer him into Valhalla. So that's hey. I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Again, look that up on your own. No. Not at work. I yeah. Be be careful what you look up at work. Okay. <laughs> I think whenever you're whenever you're love, trying to I love search, you're like things, I'm going to make a quote or I'm going to make a clip of that. Yeah. Be careful PSA. what you look up. At work. Real talk. Real talk real quick. Just okay. A tip. Just a tip. I've yeah, just a, this is a, this is my advice segment called just the tip with Justin Sane. Um be careful what you look up at work because you never know what's gonna come up in that uh you know, in that results field. And I can tell you through from numerous case studies of mine, the proof <laughs> is in the pudding. Proof's in the pudding. There can be some offensive stuff come up without <laughs> you needing to have it be there. So, um, and it's there forever. Yeah, on your computer. Is it wrong that I read this? I read this item, and I want to hear Banshee singing a lullaby to somebody. I don't want to hear Banshee sing. I, really I don't think don't. that eases uh, anybody's sh- passage. <laughs> Little Sonata, not don't you cry. Banshee gonna buy you a laser eye. So Banshee is now slightly Jamaican. He's Russian. That was Russian. Russian Banshee. That was not Russian. I die with the laser eye. Hey, mad by a laser eye. Yeah. Listen, I don't care if you're feeling iry. It's don't make fun of my Banshee. Okay. Oh, man. My son's looking at me through the door like I'm a complete idiot. Okay. So the last... Oh, my God. We have gone so far (laughs) off the rails. Um, The the last bond that I have is the Thanatonauts bond. 
Uh, and this one's pretty simple. It says there's always a gap in the memories. And I think that I think that goes back to the idea that they don't have they don't have control over the visions that they they receive after death. Um, I, I think that's really it. Like that's I think that's the point. We also have the bond of veils, which is kind of like yeah, you've barely scratched the surface. Keep digging, you know. I think those kind of go side and side, at least in my head canon. They do. I don't know what you guys is. What are your guys' thoughts on there? Cool. I blanked. Cool. Sorry. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. We're done. That, that's 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 your that's hurt called it. You called it a void. <laughs> yep, it's a void. void. <laughs> you call it a void. Um going going back to uh I was gonna say something and I just completely blanked on what I, I just pulled a green. You just pulled a void? Uh-huh. What was I gonna say? Why am I the one that gets called out on that? Justin wasn't paying attention either. I was too. Liar. <laughs> That's not even true. False. <laughs> oh, that's right. So the connection to Ulantan. Uh there is a really kind of kind of interesting little rabbit hole uh with another item and there's a nice symmetry to it. I hate you so much. Um <laughs> So we kind of find out that the and I, I kind of went off on this in chat, I believe, what? the other day. Let me see if I can find it real quick. But we found out that the, there is another person with the, I guess you would call it the suffix of Tan. Um, and this is an individual who goes by the name of Karad Tan. Um, and I'm looking for this conversation here we go uh and so this is this is actually an artifact i believe it is a yep it's a warlock artifact that's called sins of karad tan and the flavor text on this one is for you are not the first hero nor even oryx the first villain to meet upon this plane and we kind of we kind of talked about this a little bit in chat i believe it was for this it might have been for the sun singer piece but um there's there's an intriguing little thing about the the term tan. Um, this is an actual thing in Japanese. It's it's actually an honorific, which is what they call uh, whenever you see the hyphen and then another like a shorter term. That's an honorific. So it's basically something that they they kind of tack on it to the name to to indicate something. And this particular honorific is ascribed to being an affectionate variation of the term chan. Uh, and, and actually, it's viewed as a form of baby talk. Uh, it's a childish, it's a normal childish mispronunciation of the normal honorific suffix chan, which is actually itself a diminutive suffix, actually meaning that the speaker finds the individual endearing or, quote, cute. Uh, so, the, so Tan is actually seen in what's identified as anthropomorphisms of Mo. I'm going to try to explain that in just a second. It's really weird uh, that the culture is infamous for. Uh, this is a form of anthropomorphism in which Mo qualities are assigned not to non-human beings, objects, concepts, and even some phenomena. Uh, Mo is in itself. So we're kind of like 
stair-stepping into this really weird rabbit hole. Mo is Japanese slang for feelings of strong affection, mainly towards characters in anime, manga, and video games. So, yeah, that all is to say that the suffix or the honorific tan is actually a suffix in real life that is most certainly an informal term that is used generally between people who are intimately familiar with one another. It's not something that you would expect to hear in a title of any leader of any sort, especially not publicly uh, in in our lives. Um, and this also then goes into a giant conversation of this, the music of the spheres, which I'm not going to get into. I'll get that into that next week. But um, what this does is this actually points out that Ulantan is not the only individual of, I guess, the rank that he held. And it also points to this idea of this being a another another nod to this being a multiplane type situation because it calls out the first fact that we are not the first hero nor the first villain to meet upon this plane upon this plane um and yeah that was that was for me an interesting thing there uh ulantan yes justin he he is known most famously for his connection to the symmetry which has Oh man, it has so many weird implications in and of itself that light is all interconnected with one another, that the darkness is, is the the opposite of light. It is a yin to the yang of it, basically. Um, you can't have one without the other. Uh, and <clears throat> that was viewed as a very dangerous uh, approach by the vanguard and the consensus as general. Uh, when the time to con- when the time came to remove the Concordat, which hey, by the way, they're still around. Uh, when they were removed from the consensus, the symmetry was actually considered briefly before they were settled. Before the Rainbow Death Squad, known as Future War Cult, was chosen. So <clears throat> we uh, and that's also where we got confirmation that Ulantan is actually dead. He is he is not, or she. They are not anywhere she, in the destiny. They, who? Ulantan. Ulantan. Uh, oh. We actually have confirmation that that individual is dead. We have hit the bur- burial ring, and in Ghost Fragment Future War Cult, I think it is. Is that the conversation with the consensus, Justin? Do you remember that one? Um, was that the one I'm trying to remember? I'm trying to remember which ghost fragment is. It's the conversation between, uh, all the consensus about which, which, Oh yeah. yeah. And, and he says, uh, Ulan Tan's proving more, he, even, even dead, more of a nuisance. Yeah. Even in death, he's, he's more of a nuisance yeah, okay, so or something he, like that. Yeah. yeah. So they're like, I mean, they basically call out the fact that this individual yeah. is dead. Um, and then, yeah, Mr. we have Chan Chan, man, Mr. Chan Chan, Tan Chan. All right, that's that's what Mel would call him. Um, I think we've hit it all. I think we've hit all the spots. Uh, let me see. Connection to Ulantan. I got that. We got uh, the monolith bleed. Do you want to talk about that real quick? That is a very important piece. It's yeah. a very small piece, but it's very important. Um, so oh, there it is. the monolith bleed is another <laughs> another leg armor. Uh, and this flavor text is actually really important for Thanatonauts, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I nearly forgot about it. The monolith bleed gives us a couple confirmations. 
And so the flavor text says, The Crucible gave birth to the Thanatonauts, warlocks who hunt for secrets in death. Um, so first off, we know two things. Thanatonauts are warlocks, and they learned how to become Thanatonauts, or they, they learned about becoming Thanatonauts inside the Crucible. Uh, so all those people that, you know, when you, when you jump into a crucible match, if they're, if they still do it, all those people who are jumping off the edge of the map, those are just, they're just practicing for Thanatonautics. You should not be mad at them. Don't, don't worry. They're trying to, they're trying to create the next hard light for you to use. So you, you shouldn't be mad at them. You can send them nasty messages, but don't, don't be too, too rough on them. Um, turn on your hard light. I, I blame their I blame their inability to jump, but whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry, I thought they all went around in wheelchairs. <laughs> There's a lot of legs mentioned in this podcast. There, I mean, there is. Know. There's a lot of legs. Um, but anyways, so yes, the Crucible gave birth to Thanatonauts. Um, and again, I kind of am going to kind of circle back to what I was saying at the beginning. I don't think so. Every time in the grimoire that Thanatonauts are mentioned, unless it's specifically the first word in the sentence, it's not really capitalized. It's never been capitalized. Um, and I think that is to me, I read that this is just the way I read that. I read that as kind of a nod to this is not an actual order. This is not a, you know, we have like the praxic order. Uh, if you look at, if you look uh. at the praxic, you know, if you look at the praxic, they're never, it's, it's always capitalized. Yeah, but 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 you've got two different types of person here. You've got a person who engages in the art of being a thanatonaut, and then you've got someone who's devoted their life to the study. I right. could very easily see how this the latter could give rise to a group of like minded individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but that does not right. make an order. That does not make an order. It, it's, and it's like that like, does not an order make. But I, I just want to separate that from being no, no, no. Yes, being downplayed as like, as like a rabble. With, oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Uh, that, that was that was where I was actually headed. Is I think that it is a philosophical order. I don't think that it is an order on the the understand. Uh, I don't think it's a association on this on the level of like let's say the praxic order. It, yeah, it I is, don't think it's an order with traditions and and uh customs well, and no, they keep ceremonies they don't have traditions and, yeah Their but this this actually this item gives us a little bit of insight here it says the crucible gave birth to the thanatonauts and that that kind of lets us kind of think that maybe a warlock at some point was running around in the crucible and much as they are wont to do got smoked by a golden gun and then was <laughs> like um wow that made me sick that made me think some things I'm about think life about and this stuff. For a bit. That made me think about life and junk. So um, let so, me think about this for a spell. And then it happened again. And they were like, wow, more feels. Let me, let me hang out with me for a second. Let me and hang then, out with me. Yeah. Like I'm all right. So <laughs> that's how I think that happened. I will point out though, that I don't mean to say that, Thanatonauts, and I, I said this, you know, at the beginning. I don't mean to say that Thanatonauts seem to be the only guardians who are capable of having visions. I think the Just distinction. So you know. I think the distinction is that Thanatonauts actually pursue it. 
they mm-hmm. they pursue it to yeah. almost an obsessive level um and a you know that kind of, like level yeah and it really yes it it is um you know in the osiris card we we see what is what drives a warlock to madness the search for truth you know the truth drives the people to madness we have um and that's kind of where the connection to the battlestar galactica that we kind of talked about at the beginning comes from too uh the the model 3 cylon literally drove herself into a degree of madness via suicide because she knew that she wouldn't die but she was being given these vi- or she was seeing these visions and so she just kept killing herself and over 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 and that's kind of what the thanatonauts are doing now other guardians will sometimes i think experience this you know we we have seen a couple instances of this we have the xo2 card we have Kate's journal. Um, you know, those are both instances of this. We have Pujari who has visions of the dark garden. Uh, and that was actually in the, in the crucible, you know, when he says that he, or when Pujari speaks of falling from or falling from the shores of time, Hey, guess what? Was Quick what? question. Was Pujari an EXO? We don't know. I don't think so because Pujari speaks of EXOs. Right. I don't, I, my only, my only hesitation on, saying yes is that uh pajari speaks of in the vision holding his hand or holding the hand out and having the flower cut and he bled Mm, that's right but yeah so i i think that was that would be my only response to pajari being an exo is Mm. that we we have an instance of the individual getting cut and bleeding and then speaking of when the ghost revived revived him that the scar was still there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Oh, the scar. <laughs> this is, this is devolving into a lion King. This has become the lion King um, podcast. I, I blame you, Justin, a hundred percent. This is all your fault. Um, but yeah, so, and, and so what, what that is to say is like, well, well, I kind of, I, I think Pajari is a Thanatonaut by, Definitely, I think he's a thin or, or she is a thanatonaut. Um, that it's, isn't to say that other guardians don't experience the visions. I think mm-hmm. that the segregation here is first off, we know that thanatonauts are all warlocks because this card specifically calls out the exo two card specifically calls out uh, that mm-hmm. it was a warlock thanatonaut. Uh, the hard light card, I think, if I remember off the top of my head, I don't have it pulled up right in front of me, but I think it specifically calls out a warlock thanat. Yep, warlock thanatonaut. Uh, Justin, another point there is thanatonaut is not capitalized on that card either. But um, but the warlock thanatonauts is like a um, it's like a AP honors class in death and dying. Uh, whereas everyone else is kind of like, oh yeah, we see weird things, but we don't really want to think about it because it probably make it probably makes them uncomfortable. It's like I don't really want to think about that, except for a few who are kind of like, oh, this is what those those crazy people in the corner over there are talking about. You know, it, it's it to me, it seems like there is a very big segregation within a philosophical slash academic level, but it's not an order on the same level as the praxics or anything of that nature. It's their own version of the machine from FWC. Yeah. Yeah, actually that, well, and I, no. I kind of yeah. have a theory about now that you're too. Speaking my language. I kind of have a theory about that too, because, um, rainbow death squad, rainbow death squad. Um, 
my question, my question to you, Green, on that, actually following that that line of thought, the people that they were testing on in the machine mm-hmm. were those just citizens? Those weren't guardians, right? I I don't think it's confirmed either okay. direction. Um, right. I, I got the feeling that they were just citizens. I they were they just were citizens too. because wasn't one, one of, of them was just like a an a analyst, merchant, a cloth merchant, I, wasn't or something? Wasn't one of them a girl that yeah. was like a cloth or a plasteel merchant or something so here here, here's why i'm asking is because what if what if this is the machine death for a guardian does the same thing that the machine does but the guardians inherently are getting infused with enough light to overcome the the degradation of that experience it also would explain why we can't remember what happens before we were revived because you know the people who remember what happened in the machine go insane but the machine is supposed to help depict the future it, they see their futures they know that their path has already been laid not necessarily their past that's true well yeah that's true but do we know yeah uh, do we know that the visions of the thanatonauts are from the past not no, necessarily, but that's what, they, that's what they assume it is. Right. I don't know. That's just well, you know, as soon as you asked that question, that kind of made me think: What if this is the uh-huh. equivalent of it, and the guardians just have? Because you know the, the the thing about the machine was: Oh, human minds aren't capable of withstanding it. Well, the guardians aren't human, really. Like they're they're no. human base, well, but they're you, not. You can you can think about it in the terms of we have multiple endings, we have multiple deaths. Right, we're paracausal. Different, right? That makes us different <clears throat> than uh, just a normal human citizen who has a future, an quote unquote, in, like an in, like an immutable future, maybe. Uh, one that yeah, one that can actually be deciphered mm-hmm. versus us who we make our own future. I'm surprised. Guardians make their I own. Say, I'm surprised Justin didn't jump in on any of oh. that. <laughs> I'm all full of taglines apparently tonight. Taglines. Uh, it's okay. Movies. It's okay. I can survive taglines. It's the puns that kill me. Mm-hmm. Justin. <clears throat> I didn't do anything. I didn't. I left that one alone. <laughs> we don't have his name. What's his name? Matt. On here? Yeah, we don't have blue. Blue's not well. Blue is on here, but other blue is, blue not, is here. not here. We've blue, got blue. blue two. Other- blue two is not here. Blue two. Oh. So, did we get it? I think. I think, think that. I think that is. Let me just make sure. I think that is everything. Uh, I would. I would recommend. Rhino did post a, an article about Thanatonauts over on Ooh, yeah, Horn. It was, good. Uh, it was, was a, really good. a really good one. Um. See, making sure. Yeah, we got that. We got that. We got that. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Legend Black Garden. Uh, we mentioned that a little bit. That is an an actual example similar to XO two. Uh, it's a really trippy card. Really, really good read. Uh. Did I? Oh, I missed linking that. That was my. That is my fault. Um, do we want to read the Black Garden, or do we want to go to dispatches? Let's head into dispatches because I have a feeling we're going to go into Black Garden a little next week. Yes, yeah, we will 
probably go into Black Garden a little bit the next week. Okay. Perfect. All right, give me one second. Let me pull up dispatches. Dispatches from the wilds. All right, so we have an email from our friend Julian. Uh, he says, Hi, FFC. I come to you today with sadness because I forgot to send in my exotic heavy spin foil. Uh, it's okay, Julian. We'll, we'll forgive you for this time. But on to the Thanatonauts. Who do we know who likes death? Yes, the hive. Yes, this is not regular spin foil, but this is spin anotic foil, which is spin foil plus Thanatonautics plus sword logic. Or it's spin otic. I don't even know. Spin SWAT logic. Yeah, I like that one, Justin. Let's go with that. Uh, the hive kill each other to learn how they are weak and how they can improve and know for next time. Show someone's weaknesses, loving them, because when the real fight comes, they know that they have their own backs defended. Well, Thanatonot kills themselves to learn information, visions. So he's asking, he believes that this technique could have possibly been learned from the hive. Green, Justin, you want to take that? Justin, you're the spin foil specialist. Oh, well, we definitely, um, it's, it's not a, uh, kind of a theological common ground between the hive and the thanatonauts. I think both have vastly different end games in mind, but, um, a lot of the middle parts of their methods seem to to be very similar. Um, there's a lot of death involved, um, but I I have to say I think the motives are quite different between the hive and the um, and and the thanatonauts. I think that the thanatonauts are probing for. You know, for the secrets that lie behind the veil of uh, mortality, death, I think the hive are simply like a really aggressive algorithm. Like, they're constantly trying to solve for the most powerful. Like, you know, you know what I mean? A divided by B, you know, whichever one survives, that's the one that goes on. It's, it's kind of almost like March Madness in college basketball, like, like literally if you're more powerful, you move on. If you're not, you're done. Um, I don't think there's much learning going on with the hive model. I think it's essentially just Darwin on steroids. I could see that. I'm going to, I just have to give you a round of applause for pulling in basketball into that explanation. <laughs> basketball and charles darwin yeah I, i'm like i'm like i was like okay i kind of see where he's going i kind of go what what what? <laughs> like, what what is this which makes me really sad because my brackets already did yeah it, mine's mine's effed yeah so so is mine you don't even know shut up blue <laughs> <laughs> don't mock us don't mock us <laughs> Oh, mine was ruined. No, no. Mine, that, mine was that ruined. Kind of make sense. My bracket was yeah, ruined I, about fifteen years ago when I decided that I didn't care. 
Yeah, yours was ruined by the presence of basketball. Um, <laughs> that, no, does yeah. that make sense? I mean, or? yeah, it, it does. I think the, I, the short I think answer, too. it's a matter too, of motive. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, the short answer, yes, you are right. But my short answer is no, we didn't learn the technique from the hive. Uh, I think we stumbled into it on because someone couldn't make a jump and fell off the map. Um, <clears throat> what? Crucible. No, no, it was because it was a crucible. What? Did, I didn't say anything like that. Um, I think that was where we, I mean, we, we learned it there. That was the birthplace of the Thanatonauts is in the crucible. Um, as far, and actually there's a, the, the theory that I'll be talking about next week from this guy on Reddit is actually got a connection to that in Osiris. Um, but we, I don't, I don't think that we learned it from the, the hive and Justin, I agree. It's, it's the motive. Motivation is vastly different. Uh, you know, the, the warlocks use it to gain knowledge, to help the group, the hive use it to gain power, to help themselves. You know, again, allocentricism, egocentricism, you know, you have, you have two vastly different motives here. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's a solid connection, um, but I don't think the con- I don't I I like the connection. Don't agree with the conclusion. I think that theory, and I'm kind of just diving into it a tiny bit more. It stems off of the idea that there is perfect symmetry within the world of destiny in our characters versus the enemies that we face, and I'm not completely sold that that's the case. It's it's nice to want to try to make it fit because it would be a perfect perfect opposite in some respects. But mm-hmm. we don't have any information to make that fit. That's it's a it's it's a very symmetry like answer, but mm-hmm. it's very symmetrical. And now I have that song in my head. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> Justin. We're playing basketball. Oh my gosh. All right. You guys ready for shout outs? Let's do it. Yes. All right. Green. Let's do it. What are what are shout outs we got from you for this week? My shout out actually goes to probably nobody who listens. But I used for those of you who don't know, I used to coach basketball. And Justin reminded me of this with his little basketball tie-in. And yeah, yeah. Two, Two of my girls are actually in, they're playing for a Juco that's pretty, not like super nearby where I live, but pretty nearby. And they're actually ranked number four in the NJCAA. And they're playing next week. So my shout out goes to SCCC women's basketball team because the twins, Valerie and Vanessa, are awesome. They're freshmen. They are totally like the shiznes on the basketball team. I'm hoping mm-hmm. they win and they actually get to show people that they can actually do what they, they did in high school and rock the court. So that's my shout out this week. Nice. Justin, what about you? Um, I would like to give a giant shout out to the word shiznes <laughs> because I think it's underutilized <laughs> in the English language and that it needs to make a comeback. <laughs> and um, also, also, beans. yeah, yeah, to the best basketball player of all time, Bugs Bunny. Um, 
<laughs> it was a good movie. It was. Space Jam is the best basketball movie. Hoosiers move over. Blue chips. <laughs> Forget about it. Space Jams is in there to stay. No, um, uh, big shout out to my to my crew, DOD Chatter White crew, for not kicking me out for missing another raid night. You guys are <laughs> I, awesome. I hear I hear there's I hear there's one tomorrow night that you're gonna be part of. Yeah, yeah. You just gotta remind me that Niner poked me and then Fraggle will yell at me. And I'm I'm getting abused via multiple platforms right now. As it should be. It's yes, I, I guess so. Um and uh big shout out to uh um our very own redneck ma who um I jumped on and was streaming with a little bit the other night. He's streaming. He's got his own podcast at uh, Ryan on the Ma. It's pretty good. Check it out. And, uh, you know, um, otherwise, just, you know, return to your normal, everyday duties. (laughs) That wasn't awkward. Where do I put my hands? (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's not Ryan on the Ma. It's it's called Ryan on the Wall. I talked to him. He changed it. Did he really change it? <laughs> no, he didn't. Okay. I was about to say, I'm pretty sure he didn't change it. You're a liar. It's actually called Ryan on the Mic, but uh, ROTM is RTM. Doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, I was like, I was like, wait, hang on. That's not that's not right. Like. That's- yeah. All right. Ryan on the ma, y'all. <laughs> All right. Well, my shout outs. Uh, reminder, email topic for next week is going to be about the lore dive that we're having on the Sun Singers. And that will be, you know, our, our normal scheduled time Friday. Uh, so get the emails on your thoughts or comments, questions. Uh, we are <laughs> not surprisingly talking about Thanatonauts in the chat because, you know, Sun Singers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, give us give us some emails on that, and then a big shout out to Mel. Uh, happy birthday! Mm-hmm. We miss you. You happy birthday. Tell real life to get your schedule and stop messing and, with it. And congratulations on the puppy, because I think somebody happy said she had a new puppy. She has a new puppy. Oh I man! Pin said that earlier, like really early on in chat. That's stop. Um, uh, Oh, you're singing happy birthday. I was like, oh, what also, are you singing? Also, we forgot one. I was singing happy birthday, but it was like the boys to men version. Um, no, big shout out, everyone. If you didn't catch it live, go back and listen to the last episode of Guardian One. You'll be oh. here, our very own Blue Crew. Mm-hmm. I talked a lot. Tickling the Ivories. <laughs> That's not a thing. He's, he wasn't he's playing, not the piano, playing the piano. He's not playing the piano. Do you know how to play the piano, Blue? Yeah, I do. No, he doesn't. Awesome. Yes, I do. I played piano for 13 you, years. But you can't play the piano with math and logic and reason. Yes, you can. You, what, what? Oh, my God. We were having this I conversation after, after. Okay, hang on. We're, we're going to after show.
With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes each week, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our other sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions for our team concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through email as well. Be sure to check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on the guardiansofdestiny.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright. Shine bright.